Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May 21st, 2020. This is episode 2665 of the Survival Podcast. It's a special episode. Uh, maybe a very, very short intro. Uh, John Pugliano is going to be uh, joining me in just a minute. We're going to be talking about COVID economic fallout. And as many of y'all know, I've been tracking the disease itself since the very beginning. And I have remained open to being wrong about my original assertion that we are way overreacting to this. And I have even let myself believe that to a degree. And I'm at a point now where I can't anymore because the data says that we have overreacted. John Pugliano feels the same way. And John has spent most of his time worried about the economics of this situation. So we're going to put those two things together for you today. And we're going to paint what in some ways is a very bleak picture of our future. It has nothing to do with people dying of a virus. It has to do with what John and I see as the single largest, most deep, self-inflicted wound humanity has ever thrust upon itself. Anything short of war. And at least when there's war, there's two sides. And when you're blowing stuff up, you tend to blow up the other side. So it's not really a self-inflicted wound. I agree with Ben Franklin who said there's never been a good war or a bad peace. And when you go to war with another power, you suffer as well. But at least you're not bombing your own cities. We're literally bombing our own cities economically right now. And it's getting worse, and it's going to continue to get worse unless something changes. And that's why we're going to talk about it today. As, as that is the case, and as we went through this, I realized that there's some, like, damn, that's dark uh, parts to this today. I wanted to start out with something to put your mind in the right state, because whenever there's darkness... Not only will there eventually be a dawn, but you need to capitalize on the darkness. People thrive in the worst of conditions when they're prepared. So my quote to you today comes from Winston Churchill during a dark hour, the hours of war, of World War II. With a long, uncertain journey ahead of his people, Winston Churchill said, A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. So think about that as we go through things today. And with that, I want to say, hey, John, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, always great to be on TSP. Hey, the reason I got you on today is I've been putting out a lot of stuff on COVID, uh, on social media. And you said what I've been thinking yesterday, that at this point we can call the virus a scam. And that doesn't mean it's not there. It means that our overreaction is the scam. But you're not worried about the virus at this point. What you're worried about is the economy. And I feel the same way. Now, I've poured most of my effort into the virus itself and, and finding the underlying data. Uh, we'll probably talk about that some during the day. But, you know, you're more in the world of economics and finance, and you probably have more hard fact than I do. But my gut is this is bad trending to worse. And, and I'm interested, when we lead off with your thoughts on, on where I'm at, because I, I don't have any data to back this up, this is one of those Spirko feelings of just my finger on the pulse of the economy. My feeling is in the very beginning when we shut down the economy, and you call it like a neutron bomb for the economy, meaning like the bomb goes off, wipes out all the people, but yet all the infrastructure is still there. For a week of shutdown, we probably could have come back in about a week of open up. And the longer we went, the relationship between how long we're shut down, like a day down, 
becomes two days to get back up. And then another day, it's a day down, it's three days to get back up. And another day later, you're at, for a day down, you're at four days. You, you see where I'm going there. Exactly. And I think right now we're probably somewhere in the proximity, in addition to the damage, so be clear, but in addition to all the damage and all the time it's going to take to come back if we just turned it all back on right now, every day is 10, which doesn't sound that bad until you realize that 10 days, right, is, is, is 30. And you start thinking about that over another month, and a third of a quarter becomes a third of a year. And I feel like if we keep doing this for much longer, that, that factor, I don't know what the hell you want to name that factor and call it your own erotic article, go ahead. Um, but that factor is going to become something like a 20 to a 25. And at that point, you're talking years to recover from something you've done to yourself in months. Yeah, and I think it all comes down to the, where the unemployment rate is going to settle. You know, I, I've never been worried about the virus uh, in terms of its impact, like, say, the neutron bomb effect. I, I would have normally expected a V-shaped recovery. And, and I, I deal mostly in the stock market, which isn't, isn't as we all know, necessarily reflective of the economy. Correct. Um, but but I, I would have looked at this initially that, uh, you know, people are going to get sick, people are going to die, it's going to be sad. Uh, there's obviously going to be a decline in the economy and in the stock market, but things will recover. You know, so so there'll be as we had a big a big you know 33% drawdown in uh, March 23rd, and then we started to get a V-shaped recovery. But this lockdown and and, and that's something I never took into account. I, I was never worried about the physical effects of the virus, but I never in a million years thought that we would lock things down as hard and as long as we have, and and as arbitrary even. I mean, mm. I think that's the the arbitrary nature is the part that really kills me. You know, in Michigan, you can you can go out in a sailboat, but you can't go out in a in a rowboat or whatever motorboat. Um, <laughs> just just the you know the ridiculous of how they arbitrarily define things. Target Target can be open and Walmart can be open, but. Uh, you know, Fred's, uh, hold there. I want to read Fred this. Fred yard sale can't be. Hold on. I want to read this to you because Bart Simpson has, has, has solved this all. This is a meme that just went on Facebook right before I called you for today's interview. Coronavirus disambiguation. The virus is only active during certain times of the day on beaches. It also can travel up to six feet, but cannot travel six foot one or greater. It can go through the air and on all surfaces except anything that comes in the mail or groceries that you take home. The virus doesn't go to places like Walmart, Target, Amazon, or other large corporations and grocery stores, but it likes bars, small businesses, and especially churches where it can travel up to nine feet if you're parked in a car. The virus cannot live on food taken to go because it only stays inside the restaurants. All very confusing, I know, but science. Is that, that the kind that, of arbitrary you're talking about, John? That that nails it. Bart Bart, <laughs> Bart Simpson has nailed it, and that's that's the part now that is really making this unknown, because it is. I mean, that's what businesses hate, and, and investors mm. hated the uncertainty of things. You don't know from day to day who's going to be the favored group and who's going to who's not going to be. Um, and so, what I'm worried about now, where I would have where I would have thought we're just going to get a V-shaped recovery. Things will work out. And the V I never knew about, right? I, I've always said, I don't know, is it going to be a month, six months, a year? We're going to get a second second wave you know, problem in the fall uh, when when the virus comes back because of normal flu season. Those were the, the time factor I didn't know. But to me, it was a neutron bomb type of thing. Mm-hmm. We're, going to have a, we're going to have a big drawdown, and then things will recover. Things will be fine. With this arbitrary shutdown and, and it continuing, right, we're talking about even when we open up uh, – there's going to be all kinds of social distancing, arbitrary rules in place. That's going to impact 
cost, profitability, productivity, and unemployment. And those are the wild cards that um, I, I think we could we could be in for a, a real problem here. You know, whether and whether it's a double bottom, a, a W recovery, uh, I don't know. That's I, you know I don't know. There's not enough data to know those things yet. But I that's where I want to talk about today because that's where I really think the problems are going to come in, uh, and unemployment being the big one. Where you know we were three and a half percent unemployment four months ago, mm-hmm. and now we're. I don't know. I don't think the numbers have come out this week. Yeah, we're probably close to 15. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, we were those... recently right where we were in 2011. And when I heard that, I actually, for a second, was like, well, that's actually pretty impressive because talk about a dick punch to the economy. To only be where we were in 2011, then my immediate thought was, oh, this is – you're talking about a falling knife you're trying to catch here right now if something doesn't drastically change rapidly. And I don't see that happening. I don't see the unemployment numbers recovering. And, and so I think, and I think the bigger, and we'll, we'll, I guess probably talk about this as we sum things up, but I think, you know, what we're really looking at here is short-term effects and long-term effects. And I think the long-term effects of this are that we're setting ourselves up for, you know, I've never been one of the people that are gloom and doomers and mm-hmm. economic collapse and things, but I definitely know that every seven to 10 years we get a really good recession. Um, I don't think this is it. I still, I, again, again, I think this is just, it's a, it's a virus. It's going to be, a, it's a problem. Obviously, the, the markets come down and, and recover. Shoot, the market's back down again, but I mean, as of yesterday, we were back to being only about 8% off of record highs on the S&P 500, and I think we were within 5% of a record high on the NASDAQ. So, I mean, this is not, not a disaster in terms of the overall stock market, depending upon what sector. Uh, yesterday, Facebook put in a record high. Um, I think Home Depot was within a, a percent or so of a record high. So there, there's, um, this has been relatively mild, right? This isn't the big economic collapse everybody's worried about. What I think is going to happen, though, is that we are laying the seeds for that next problem. Oh, and, yeah. I don't know what it is, right? It isn't one of those kind of things where we can put our, our hand on it right now. But if you go back to 9-11, right, the 2001 terrorist attacks, that was obviously the government had to come in and do something, and they did. Uh, but those those initial uh, tweaks to the economy, they never let up on. And so then when the recession came in, tw- in 2003 uh, and oil prices went up with the Iraq war and everything else, they had to keep – intervening and intervening and the big thing that came out of that was affordable housing you know we had to you had to make sure that people could afford housing and so we not only lowered interest rates well below what they should have been but we gave anybody that wanted a home the home loan yep and and that's what laid the seeds for the 2008 i mean there were multiple things that happened in 2008 but the the really big thing that hit that hit the markets hard was all the all the home defaults and they would have never happened if we didn't have the policies that let just anybody. If you didn't give people money, they couldn't afford to pay it back. That You knew were never money. going to be able to afford to pay it back. Exactly. And I think you can draw that specifically back to the terrorist attacks of 2001 mm. because without, without that shock to the economy, reasonable people would have said, well, we really can't give loans to just anybody. You know, but, but it, you know, it became one of those things, well, you're not patriotic or, you know, why do you hate children? Why don't you, why don't you let everybody own a home and the economy needs it? And so, you know, all the constituencies got together and said, yeah, we need to give loans to just anybody. And then that created the big financial crisis. So most of and the time I, when and you so have, that's, so I think that's where we're headed now. 
So what here's a couple of things to, to kind of, you know, you were saying you can't put your finger on it to think about. One is your thing, and the other is my thing, and we've both talked about them together many times. The first one is something I was talking about all the way back in 2008, 2009. I said, this recovery will happen, and the next one is going to be worse. And I got it's one of those ones you go, did I really say that? And damn it, I don't want to be right. Um, but one of my big concerns at that time, and it still is, and it never went away, is municipal defaults. Because you're talking about not just city services, county services, state services. You're talking about immense amounts of pensions, which is the income that people, you know, in, in average age of 60 to 90 have planned on living on for the rest of their lives. Not to mention massive numbers of people employed. And if those people don't stay employed, they don't keep paying into the Ponzi that pays the pension. So, you, I mean, I have to explain that to you. You get all that. That's like microcosm of Social Security without the ability to print money. So you've got that, and then you've been on this thing for, I'd say, five years, automation, and the switch to automation. And what I've been saying, and people always get angry because they think I'm talking about, I hate old people and children, COVID's killing the dying. And I always have to follow it up with, I'm not talking about people. You know, if you look at things like Macy's, Macy's, they, they furloughed everybody, so we're bringing them back in July. No, you're not. We, we both know that's not right, John. That's not happening. That's, that, that, those stores were going to go under by, by January next year anyway. But if you look at all these cities and counties and states right now screaming for a, a bailout from the Democrats, those sit, I mean, you can be angry at Trump all you want, but he's very accurate when he says they had their problems before this happened, and now they want us to fix those problems, not just the COVID problems. So I think there was a potential for literally thousands of, of city, state, county defaults of pension plans and things like that, and that that was going to happen. But you talk about flattening the curve. What about spiking the curve? Like, think about it the other way around. So now you take all of those defaults, and instead of having them spread out over time, they get condensed. And then your thing to automation. When 2008, 2009 happened, I said, there are jobs that went away. They're never coming back, even if the company opens back up and gets bigger, because they figured out that Bill, who held down that desk, didn't even do that. The desk did not float away when Bill went away. So why would I ever bring Bill back? Well, all this move to automation, it was coming anyway. You wrote a book on that, right? So all I can see is that being accelerated. Think about me being right now running a, a meat processing plant. Gee, if I can automate the way that chicken gets processed even faster, then I don't have to worry about Julio getting COVID the next time it comes back. And I can give you a 100,000 examples just like that if I'm a business owner why the, the appeal of automation just got better. So if you accelerate those two things, don't you get a flux at, uh, from the automation that was coming anyway and a disaster from the defaults that was coming anyway? Yes, yeah, and, and I think they're even more intricately tied because not only do you have the, um, the municipals and the, the state pension funds and all that, you, uh, you have the whole – I mean, and the reason they're going away is because they're – They've not only overspent and they have unsustainable pension funds, but they're also losing their tax base, which is being driven by this whole thing as well, both automation and now the virus. And I think where it gets even bigger is we're going to have that commercial real estate collapse at some point. And, and, that, and that may end up being that, – that might be the big problem. It may, may be commercial real estate. And again, so the virus is just driving, driving this harder because the trends of – 
people working from home. Now, so now you don't need the, the office buildings, the people that are not shopping at brick and mortar. So now you don't need Macy's and JC Penney's and Neiman Marcus. Um, so, you know, you don't need that retail space. You don't need the downtown parking garages. All those things create revenue for the cities and the states and the municipalities. They're also all owned by insurance companies, which back not only, uh, you know, most of the government pension funds, but uh, not non-federal, the, the, you know, the, the California Teachers Fund and things like that. But, um, but even corporate, th- those corporate pension funds that still exist are just, in effect, an insurance company annuity. Though most of that commercial real estate in one form or another is owned by insurance companies. And that's what these pensions are based on. The, the rents, the rents that are generated from the commercial real estate. And I think you're going to have, um, and I think we were going to anyways, but again, I think it's just faster. We're going to have an implosion of, of commercial real estate because you just don't need all the retail space. You don't need all the downtown parking. You don't need all the office buildings. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there's something in that too. Like how many of these people that went home to work are going to keep working from home? And that doesn't mean they lose their jobs, but how, how many industries exist to support people going to work? How much business is created by people going to an office, John? Just, I have more, but just look, I'm going to stop there so I don't go too much at once. Just think about that. Like, what are your thoughts on how, how much money changes hands every day that involves some function of human labor because Jack Spierko used to drive 40 miles to work and a thousand million other people like Jack did that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, who knows what the multiplier is? It's huge because you're not, I mean, you have the transit system, you have the restaurants that people go to lunch to when they're at work, you have the custodians that clean the buildings, you have people that come in and take care of the the plants and um, you have the, you know, you have all the people that work in the building. You have the, the engineers that need to take care of it. You have this, the city functions that clean the sidewalks outside of the building. I mean, it's, it's a, well, who knows a 10, 20, 30 times multiplier. Yeah. That's, that's where I think. And again, with automation, again, I've talked about this in my book. One of the things I was worried about in terms of investing was I was saying, you know, be careful long-term on real estate because, a lot of these properties that are valuable now won't be hmm. necessarily valuable in the future if you don't need brick and mortar establishments, if you don't need these big office buildings. And COVID is just moving us much faster to that uh, because people can work from home now. We're, we're seeing that productivity doesn't go down like uh, a lot of people thought it would. And um, so I don't think that trend is discontinuing. Something something else I talked in my book about that that a lot of doctors pushed back on me on was I, I was saying that, you know, the, the whole um, telemedicine, medicine is going to be one of the biggest changes. That's why yep. I said that the, the, this automation isn't going to take away the, uh, you know, the, the low skilled worker. Those guys have already been replaced. It's, yeah. it's going to hit it's going to hit the white collar and the, the professional workers and people like doctors. And, um, uh, and I was saying that things, you know, you'll be able to blow into your smartphone someday and it'll tell you whether or not you have um, strep throat or you'll be able COVID. to do a, <laughs> yeah, COVID at this point. I didn't know about COVID yeah. back then. I didn't anyways. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, you'll be able to do telemedicine yeah. where you don't have to go into the doctor's office. You, you have a Fitbit or a, a Apple watch that is giving you basically a 24-hour-a-day EKG and 
so you don't need to go in the doctor's office for that. And so therefore you don't even need to go in the doctor's office for the consultation because you and the doctor can talk over Skype or whatever. And I got pushback from doctors on that saying you, you we won't get to that point just because of the, the rules and the regulations. You know, there's too many, there's too many, you know, not, not only you got problems with state lines and, and then of course you have to do things in person and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that has been a hindrance. I mean, up, up till a couple months ago, those were problems. You had a lot of legislation saying, yeah. well, you can't do these things kind of over the phone or, you know, you have to be in person. And whether it was done specifically because of regulation or just people worried about lawsuits or liability or, or just tradition, whatever it was, well, guess what? That's all coming to an end now, right? I mean, telemedicine is going to be huge. Well, I, and, I, I've heard doctors say, well, you'll never replace that relationship between the doctor and the patient. And I've looked right at some of these guys that are family practitioners. So they said, you mean the part where you walk in the door backwards for five minutes and don't <laughs> actually hear anything your patient says? Is that what you're talking about? Because last time I went to a doctor, that's exact. I stepped on a, a rusted wire, and I just wanted to make sure I didn't end up with an infection or anything like that because my son's wedding was like five days away. That would be the perfect time for my foot to swell up inside those shoes I had to wear with the, the tuxedo, right? So, you know, we went to the and, and literally the man backed into the office, never looked at me, glanced at my foot, said, "Yeah, we'll give you an antibiotic shot for that," and left. So that was that incredible doctor-patient relationship, you know. I guarantee you, they, if you'd asked him five minutes later, what does that man look like? He couldn't have told you. Exactly. Now, here's the ironic thing. This is why I was kind of chuckling in the background where you're talking. I swear to God, this conversation just occurred 10 minutes before I called you. My wife had a telemedicine appointment today with her doctor's office because social distancing. So they've never done telemedicine. Now the, the it's not like you, when you talk about telemedicine, people generally see this place over here that does telemedicine replacing this place over here that doesn't. So now you got the place that doesn't do it doing it. And they had this very complex thing with a link expiring and all kinds of technical crap she was going through. And to be fair, they just started doing it. But it was a you know a complicated thing to have your face to face Skype conversation, basically, you know, FaceTime with the doctor. Why? Because they put a bunch of regulations in and I'm sure that system cost them half a million or a million dollars. Because I'm sure it records things and reports things and does all kinds of stuff. But there's no need for that. Right? My, when you go see your doctor, they don't turn a camera on, at least that we know of, and record the whole thing, right? They don't do that. The doctor has a chart and he charts the parts of the visit that he considers relevant to your medical history. Well, they've created a whole new litany of regulations that quickly. <laughs> to replace the regulations that are going to not be important anymore. But that all, again, reduces headcount. How much money and how many businesses exist because people go to the doctor, right? The, the, the person with the small business, like me, that loves tropical fish, that has a 100 clients that he maintains fish tanks for, let me tell you what, 90% of them are in doctor's offices, dentist's offices, and eye doctor's offices. Exactly. That's where they are. Okay, that guy's out of business. He's the, the, so you, you, we're not you're talking about telemedicine, and, and what I'm talking about is putting the guy with the fish business out of business, and he is. He's out of business. You see how that works? Yeah, exactly. That's what I say. It's the, the, the magnifier of that. You know, who, who knows what it is? Ten times, you know, twenty times. It's uh, it's immense, and that's and that's what's going to happen, and that's what the uh, you know the government bureaucrats don't understand. They 
they they look at specific industries. Or, you know, we're going to protect the farmers, or we're going to protect uh, the, the doctors, or you know, whatever the group constituency is, whoever has the biggest lobby. But they don't think about they don't think about the guy that takes care of the fish tanks, and yeah. that's the spillover effect. And now that guy can't put gas in his car, he can't pay his rent. Uh, you know, he, his his UPS man doesn't come to his house anymore because he's not ordering all of his coral or whatever. Yeah, or um, is this chemicals? His chemicals. It just it just snowballs from there, and that's that's where I think this this whole unemployment thing is is going to. Uh, so he doesn't go to Del Taco because he ain't got no money. Right? It just there's this c- continuing cascade. That's I, I guess like one of the reasons I've kind of been okay with a lot of the economic stimulus. Even though I don't like it, I'm still like, it's not going to explode the world because I understand how money moves and multiplies in a system. So if we dump in $10,000 and if the economy is growing properly, that 10000 actually creates more money and more prosperity than it costs. Well, you got that kind of in reverse here where you take $10,000 out of the economy, but it actually costs you $100,000 or more. That's kind of my fear. Then here's another industry that, and it's an industry. It's a trillion dollar industry, education. I can't find the exact figure. I'm trying to look it up right now, but they just did a survey um, of parents who never considered homeschooling ever. They were, I'm not doing it. Well, guess what? You're doing it because we shut the schools. After having watched the difference in their children and adjusting to the initial way things went, it was something like 30 to 40% of these parents are seriously considering never sending their children back to school. Now, I've been saying for years, the public education system, as you know it, is dying. And now I'm saying COVID's killing the dying. And I don't think people get how a small number equals a big effect. In other words, like when you were talking about commercial real estate, People don't get if there's a 5% surplus in commercial real estate, just a 5% surplus in the type of building that you're, you're defining, that the, the, the value of everything drops by a hell of a lot more than 5%, right? Because there's a lot more available. I don't, and it's not like that demand can change on a dime. Well, I think it's the same thing with, with homeschool numbers. Like they went from like one to three million over like 10 years recently. And that had a pretty dramatic impact to where teachers started worrying about it. Schools started cracking down. This is a problem. And it's only 3 million people of the total. And it's only, what, 2 million people of growth. What the hell happens if, of that 30% that consider it, half of them do it? 15% of the school population comes out of the public education system that's already on the ropes. And then I'll ask you the same question, John. How much money is spent and how many industries exist because kids go to school independent of teachers and students? Yeah, every, every year entire, whatever you pay in property tax is yeah. pretty much going to support the local school system, right? So how many, how many trillions is that? Plus, like textbooks. You go to, you don't go to the school, you don't need a textbook. I, I've right. not seen a textbook in my grandson's hand. Every single thing's been done on a computer. So the textbook industry is, is, is multi billions of dollars. Standardized testing, all the crap that goes around that. Like, if you automate that, even if they still do standardized testing, that's a, that's a multi. Do you think it exists because they actually care how good the schools are doing? It exists because they make money doing it. Like, people don't get like everything in our society exists solely because it makes or takes money. That's why things exist. And even when they're good things, like I don't farm if I'm a farmer that farms for a profit because. I like to watch stuff grow. I mean, maybe that's part of it, 
But you take away my money, guess what? As we've seen, when I can't make money on the pigs, I'll kill the pigs before I, you know, keep feeding them. Everything in an economy exists because it makes or takes money. And if it, if it won't do that anymore, it's gone. And I just, I, I'm starting to think that, man, like we don't even understand, like this is a, a spring that's really wound up. And while it's wound up, you don't actually see what it's going to look like when it breaks. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll tell you, I think something that's going to get hit even faster than like the the K through twelve education system oh. is higher education. Yeah. Look at, you know, uh, one of the one of the safest real estate investments in the last I don't know thirty years or so has been um, rental property on college campuses. You yep. know, dorms and things like that. And again, whether it, whether it's owned by just a local person owns a an apartment building and rents it out, or whether it's a an insurance company or some big a real estate investment trust owns a whole series of, of apartments and stuff. I mean, that, that, uh, uh, student housing has been a huge, huge, very mm. stable moneymaker. And, you know, n- not this year. <laughs> it's, people are, uh, are losing money and can't pay rents and there's lawsuits as to who, you know, whether they really, the students have to pay that because they can't go to school. Um, again, what if, what if just 5% of the kids don't go back to college or, or this incoming class? What if, what if five percent of the the graduating class of 2020 decides to take a year off next year, hmm. uh, and then and then and then it works out? Then then the world doesn't come to an end because they didn't go to college and they decide not to anyways. Um, I, I think the the ecosystem that around, that oh. revolves around these college campuses is is um, yeah that's another that's, that's another an onion thing. right that's so many layers. Let's let's start with this. Like I know you like me actually kind of enjoy driving across the country, right? So you've done yeah. a lot of trips you could have flown, but if you're if you're not pressed for time, and especially if you're not encumbered by a, 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 a co-partner that has a female bladder, you just drive it, right? It's just cool. And so you're driving along, you see a little town on, on your GPS or your map or whatever, and you come into that town, and you expect it to be like a convenience store in three houses. And it's a bustling little metropolis. And it's in the middle of nowhere. You didn't really expect it to be this way. You know, I, I was at a place in Kansas like this, and there were hipsters. John, there were hipsters in Kansas, lots of them. Yep. They were all over the place. There was a giant, like, co-op food, natural food place, and it was it was happening. And I'm like, what, what, what the hell, why? Well, there were three large colleges in and around that town, and that town's entire economy was based on those schools. Now, you're an older guy like me, so I, I bet you remember back in the 80s and early 90s when they started clo- closing some military bases. Remember that? Yes. Remember yeah. the national news? These entire towns were disintegrating because they lost the military base. Most of these colleges have an impact on their local town, maybe not equivalent to, but probably 20, 25% of what a large military installation does. Well, if there's four or five colleges there, then they're effectively having the same impact of, you know, a Fort Knox. Maybe more. Maybe more because they're more accessible. There's more, like, there's way more college students than there are soldiers to sell sandwiches to. You follow me? Exactly, so start exactly. taking away those universities. And you know the first ones to go. They're not going to be Harvard, Princeton, Yale, MIT, right? They're going to be freaking, you know, whatever the hell universities outside of Lawrence, Kansas. Hipsterville University, right? That's going to go first. So what happens when you, it's like effectively having, again, think back to the, that time. I know you, you remember, I'm sure you remember it. 
Now imagine instead of two or three military installations closing, a thousand. What does that look like? Yep, that, that, and that just continues this whole snowball effect. And so then it's more, it's more unemployment. It's a lower tax base. You have people moving out of the cities too because, uh, you know, how, how many people are going to move out of New York City because they realize what a what a crap hole the place is, right? I, I mean, hope so. <laughs> yeah, I would I would hope so too. But then and what they, does that they, do to they, Manhattan they, real estate? Exactly. If five percent of the people leave, what does that do to Manhattan real estate? That's again, I'm back down to these five percent numbers. And again, that's the trend, anyways. That's where we were headed. We, we were yeah. headed in that direction, anyways. The virus is just pushing it, pushing it there. So I think, it's, the I think it's, I think it's education. I think it's healthcare. Um, you mentioned about driving. A lot more people are going to be driving this summer than drove last summer. Um, so the the airline industry right now is getting devastated. But I'll tell you, something that's doing really well is RVs. People are going out and buying RVs like crazy. Yeah, um, I saw your gonna, cool little one, man. I was like, I could pull that with an Outback. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can pull that with. I, I've been pulling that thing coast to coast for a while now. Um, uh, but yeah, RVs are RV sales are, are going up because people don't want to fly. People don't want to have the inconvenience of flying. I mean, this whole social distancing. This is going to be TSA, right? It's TSA everywhere now. Yeah. It's it, not not just not just uh, screening you when you get on an airplane, but you know if you taking your temperature before you go to Costco or um, we're going to Florida for our vacation. The hotel requires us to go to the lobby every day and get our temperature taken. Yep. Now, since it's not, you know, I'm not going into a government database with that or anything. And since I want to go to the beach for two weeks, I'll do it. But I also know that it's virtue signaling and ass covering because. 90-plus percent of these cases are asymptomatic and don't have a temperature anyway. And I can have a temperature because, you know, I ran down the beach before I went up there, and I've just raised my body temperature. So, I mean, our plan is we're going we're gonna to pop an Advil every morning when we get up to make sure we don't spike a temperature. And unless we're actually sick, go on with our lives and, and realize that when I'm out on the beach with a, with a, with a nine-foot casting rod telling people to like, socially distance their ass away from my giant hooks uh, and the shark on the end of the line, I'm probably not going to spray anything or get anything from anybody anyway. But yeah, I mean, like that's, I'm going to a hotel and they're going to take my temperature every morning. At least that's the plan now. It, you know, depending on how things go, they may drop that as the guidance changes. But I think one of the things people don't get is the government is sw swiftly going to figure out what I figured out long ago. Instead of imposing all these lockdowns, you do, you remember they keep talking about liability protection, liability protection, liability protection. Here's my Spirco Domus on this. They'll come up with all the shit that they want done. They'll issue guidelines for how they want it done. They'll tell the businesses that you don't have to do it, but if you don't do it, you don't get liability protection. And how effective do you think that's going to be? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's. And there'll be a whole new industry, John. Compliance. The compliance with uh, liability uh, assurance. Industry. There'll be a, a business selling insurance for the insurance. You see what I mean? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the exactly exactly like the TSA though, right? I mean, the just nonsense regulations that really don't do anything to help airport no. security. They just don't go away. And and exactly those things though are going to add to the cost of doing business. They're going to decrease productivity. Um, employers will still have lawsuits and. That's that's where I'm starting to get worried about the second effects of this virus hitting the economy, and I don't necessarily think the 
stock market profits are going to be as rosy as I would have thought they'd have been two months ago. Some of them will, but not enough. Like Amazon's going to be good. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Home Depot and Lowe's are raw. I mean, like, there, I, there's somebody made a, a gift. I love The Simpsons, as you know, and it was uh, Mr. Burns and that Smithers guy, his assistant, throwing money at each other. And it was like the CEO of uh, Charmin and Lysol. And they were, like, having a money fight. Like, there are certain sectors that have done really well because of this, but it's not the majority. It can't carry everything. Right, and that's what worries me about the stock market right now is that um, Home Depot, Target, Walmart, I mean, these guys have all, Amazon, they've all announced earnings, and they're doing well, and their stocks are, you know, again, at or near either record highs or, or at least recent highs. And, well, of course, Walmart and Amazon are doing good. They're the only thing that's, again, because of the arbitrary rule, they're the only thing that's allowed to be open. Yeah. Home Depot, everybody's, you know, everybody's home from work for the last two months, and so they're going to Home Depot and improving their house or and they're bored, so they're their, doing projects. fixing up the yard. Yeah, so so those businesses are going to do well. Everybody's piling into those stocks, but what is going to happen when the economy opens up? Well, now you're not going to just have to go to Walmart. You can go to other stores. So Walmart isn't going to see that increase in sales. They're going to have more employee costs. They're going to have the litigation. They're going to have to provide the, the PPE for for their employees and you know all these restrictions. And I think that's where people are getting way too optimistic on things. And you, you see this headline chasing every day. Who, whatever biotech company claims to have the latest vaccination, you know, vaccine potential, that stock bounces up sure. 10, 15, 20 percent. And that, then the next day it, it falls out of favor and something else comes in. Uh, Maduro was the one this week. Maduro, I don't know, I think it was up 16 percent yesterday or the day before. And when I looked this morning, it was down like eight or nine percent. Um, but it's, it, these companies are coming out. A lot of these biotech companies are, are the, um, they're kind of like the dot com companies from 2000 where they, they just put a dot com behind their name. You yeah. Know? Well, now they're, now they're all in the vaccine business. Uh, a lot of these companies, they've been around for, I mean, they're zombie companies. They, they, they're kind of pumping dumps. Um, from, from a legal disclaimer, I'm not saying that about Madero. I'm just yeah, saying no, in I'm general, saying. in general, right? There, there's a lot of biotech companies out there that they've been around for a decade or more. Give me a time, survived. give me a time in history and with five minutes of research, I'll give you a list of 10 buzzwords that a specific sector could have used to increase their stock price or to gain funding. And if those exactly. 10, and if you, if you look at proposals and prospectuses and everything from that period in that sector, you you run like you know where you go control F and highlight like the whole thing will just light up in chartreuse with those buzzwords right you remember web remember when web 2.0 like yeah. every prospectus every proposal every request for funding everybody seeking venture capital web 2.0 it was in everything even if the thing was like how to eat a brownie web 2.0 how to eat a brownie like it didn't matter. Yep. A couple of years ago with cryptocurrency, right? Companies were putting, yep. you know, uh, crypto in their name or whatever just to come up with things. But these, these biotech companies, a lot of them survive by just a pump and dump. They, they come out, they, they, they find out whatever the need is, the cancer cure, whatever it is. They, they go into test one, uh, you know, filing test one with the FDA. They say it looks encouraging. The results are promising, whatever, you know, whatever the buzzword is. Then they get they get their phase two funding, 
and then you know whatever they have never makes it into into the next trials, but they're on to the next disease or the next problem by then. And so, I mean, you look at these companies and literally 10, 20, 30 years they've been in business. They've never had a commercial product, but they never go out of business because they're always getting funding for the next round. Hmm. And um, so you're seeing a lot of that now with COVID. These these companies coming out with you know whatever the latest vaccine is or or people are chasing Zoom or Clorox wipes or you know whatever whatever they think the big business is. But the the underlying economy is um, is going to get hurt and not do well. And and the stock market has been in a range since uh, right around April 15th. I think between April 15th and where we are right now, the market's really only fluctuated. Uh, I, I don't have my numbers in front of me. Maybe seven percent. You know, we, we had that big spike up. We the bottomed out on March 23rd. We had a big spike. We ended up, uh, I think, uh, April 29th was was when we, we put in the uh, – got a red around, I think, 2,900, 2,850 or something on the S&P 500. But then it pulled back, and for the last four weeks, it's just been, again, trying to get over 3,000. So for basically two months, though, we're, we're just in this really tight zone, and people keep piling in and out of all these names, but nothing's happening. And that's that's where I'm thinking, you know, people are not taking into account how long this arbitrary social distancing is going to last, the impact it's going to have on everything, transportation, cruise lines, um, the airlines, uh, the, the barber shops, the beauty salons. I mean, none of these, none of those service type people to people sectors are going to get back to where they were three months ago. There's, there's going to be too many, too many problems. And again, I'm, so I'm not calling for the end of the world. I just think that the, the, the better recovery that I would have been optimistic about three months ago is, uh, I think people are too optimistic at this point. They should be more cautious. We're going to have higher levels of unemployment. Um, and, and even because of the, the digitization, the automation, the things we've talked about, People aren't going back to work anyways. I mean, companies have realized we didn't need Joe. You know, Joe was Joe was a burden. Uh, we can we can replace him with automation. Uh, we can have Sally work from home, so now we don't need to have her office space. So so now that's a savings. Uh, and then you know, Fred Fred's uh, Fred's in the fragile group that he shouldn't be coming back to work anyways. Mm-hmm. He's 64. He's diabetic. For, for his own good, we'll lay him off. For his own good, we're going to lay him. Or, or, you know, <laughs> whatever. Him. Yeah, we're going. We'll give Severance two weeks. Or, or, or even for him. Or, yeah. or, or, or even with the whole uh, the government spending. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think th- that's where the money should go, right? I mean, if you have these, instead of shutting down the whole economy, what we should have done three months ago was look at the fragile, the high-risk groups and say, you know, we're going we're gonna to social distance those people and, and we're going to protect and take care of them, right? I mean, if you're, if you're 55 years old and have diabetes and asthma and all these other things, you shouldn't be going to work. You're, you're probably going to be someone that's, that's uh, more susceptible to the virus. And so we will pay you to stay home, you know, but we don't need to have everybody stay home. We'll just take care of that one person. And um, so, but when you start factoring in those things, you know, the, the elderly are not going to go back to the casinos and the cruise ships and things that they would have normally done just because they are, they're out, they are elderly, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they're going to be more susceptible. They're more fragile. So they're going to stay at home. The, uh, the paranoid people are not going to go out. And, and there are a good, what, you know, you know, the, we talked about them doubling down that 10 or 15 or 20% of the population is just convinced that this is going to kill everybody. Well, they're not going to suddenly wake up and say, 
oh, it's fine. I can go out now. They're going to, they're going to double down. I, I've seen people as I've gone out shopping. I, you know, a lot of these stores make you wear a mask. Costco makes you wear a, a face mask and things. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm seeing people out there in, in, I don't even know where they're getting them. I mean, these look like regular respirators. Um, and I'm like, really, you really need that? You know, you're, you're alone in your car or you're pushing. If, you, if you're so worried about it, why are you in Costco to begin with? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you, you see these people just. But see, the mask isn't for you, John. It's to save other people. You just want people to die. <laughs> I do. I hate, I hate children. That's... I hate children. <laughs> and old people. And old people. You, you said it. The old people are expendable. You said it right here yourself. We all know you did it. I did say that. Evil man. <laughs> I, I think that this, so, so that's where I think this is going to continue on. And you, and you know, it is likely that we are going to maybe get a second wave in the fall, um, which would coordinate nicely for the November elections, right? We can, we can have more drama and, um, and, um, uh, more unemployment and more disruption in the economy just in time for the November elections. That'll all come in the fall. Uh, it, I, I, I'm, I'm getting concerned. Yeah, I think on the second wave thing, I'm a little less concerned. And it's because I've been following the actual infection rates and, you know, based on asymptomatic cases and stuff. And I think that you do reach a point of herd immunity. And whether yeah. they say it or not, like, see, like all this, we, what this has revealed, the whole thing about the hypocrisy of science is until we say it's true, it's not true. And then once we say it's true, it's true until we say it's not true anymore. That's, that's basically what we're supposed, that's not how science is supposed to work, but it's how science does work because money. And when, when we start looking at, well, how many cases of COVID are there really? I'm, making a thing for Facebook right now based on IHME data, which is the place that all these decision makers are getting their data from to make their decisions, to inform their decisions. And for instance, just a random day, I'm looking out on a chart here, on May the 14th, so it's what, six, six seven days ago, because um, Claude over at IHME doesn't apparently update shit until like two weeks after they get the numbers, um, they say there were 23,000 cases. So when you look at that, that scary chart of daily new cases, the number you would got on that date, exactly 23,619. Now that they finally accepted reality, they finally accepted reality that, hey, most of these cases we're not seeing, their estimate for that day, if they put the estimated new cases, and I've never seen a graph doing this unless you know where to go look and dig the data out, was 130,172 cases. That discrepancy of 110, 107,000 cases is one day. That's 107,000 additional cases not recorded, not factored into this, not used to calculate the death rate, not used to calculate the hospital rate, not used to calculate the not used for anything that we're actually making the decisions on in one day. So in 10 days, that's a million cases. All of a sudden, kind of, you know, they say about that starts to be real money when they start talking about billions, right? That starts to be real numbers. And it starts to actually be a significant uh, percentage of the population. So I think the idea that you're going to have a second wave when you've already had millions of unreported infections, millions of asymptomatic infections, that will be worse than the first wave, it doesn't make scientific or common sense. However, you can have enough of it to get what you're worried about. 
Because it's we both agree it's not the virus at this point; it's a reaction. So if we can just have a cluster, oh God, we were and all of a sudden the toilet paper forts get built again and it was shut down everything again. And I think it could be very much used as a weapon to ensure Trump doesn't get reelected. And that's not pro or anti-Trump. That's just if you don't believe there's a consorted effort to do anything to prevent Donald Trump from being reelected, then you just don't. I, I mean, I don't even know how. Like. It's Harley Davidson. If I have to explain, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And, I, and when I'm going with that uh, second wave, too, is that I, I'm not worried about it from the virus perspective of it. It's just the, the propaganda, the media hype, the way they'll play it up is, oh, you know, w- rate of infections are back up. And, um, you know, this, the same way they just played out where we're at now. I, I'm in Utah. We've had 90 deaths in the state of Utah. This is as of maybe yesterday. I'm, I'm saddened and heartened for the 90 people that have died. I mean, it's a, it's a human tragedy. Um, I know people's loved ones, particularly, you know, older people have passed away mm-hmm. in the state of Utah because of the virus. And that's a sad, sad, tragic event. But in the scheme of things, you know, we're, we're near 4 million population. If you look at it, if you look at the deaths in Utah, and I'm now I'm on a government website right now looking it up, Utah ranks – We're the the fifth lowest death uh, per capita. So out of a out of a million, a population of a million, we've had 28 uh, 28 deaths out of a population of a million, and that's the that's the fifth best in the country. Hmm. You know, we've been shut down for eight weeks. (laughs) What do you say to the person that says, "But the reason that it's so low is because you shut down"? What do you say to that person? And what I would say is that we, if we actually we've only ever been in a partial shutdown, and that's one thing our governor our governor got criticized because we were only partial. They shut down the schools, and different counties had leeway. Uh, but again, if you went to Home Depot, if you went to Lowe's, if you went to Ace Hardware, if you went to Walmart or Target, or those places were booming with people. That here in Utah, I mean, we, it's been great weather. If you went out to the national parks, nothing uh, not the parks, but the uh, Bureau of Land Management, where people go out. I mean, everybody was out hiking and with their four-wheelers. It, it's really been like a – it's like the whole state was government workers that were on furlough. You know, the government workers that get furloughed but still get paid to stay home. It was like the whole state was on vacation. And um, so although we were in a, a shutdown, it, it wasn't it wasn't to me a critical shutdown. Um, and we've been open for about the last two weeks anyways. Bottom line on all, but bottom line on that, why have we only had 90 deaths? Why have we only had 28 deaths per million? I'll go out on a limb and I'll say one of the reasons is probably because you have the highest per capita uh, population of Mormons in the country and you have some dietary limitations and some lifestyle limitations that are generally by any practicing member of the LDS followed, one of which is the non-consumption of alcoholic beverages. And by and large, you're probably a healthier population than the U.S. as a whole. The bottom line there is healthy, right? Healthy yeah. and young. Yeah. Utah has the highest birth rate because we have the highest. Oh yeah, you guys make young, a lot of freaking babies too. Yeah, we, legit. We're, we're the we're <laughs> the youngest youngest state, and we're relatively healthy. We're not the healthiest, but we're we're up there with you know in the top two or three yeah. healthiest states. And and we're younger, right? We're younger than Pennsylvania. We're younger than New York, right? So. But we didn't need the same restrictions that they needed in New York City. Mm. Uh, but yet we got, you know, we, we got as many of that they could cram down our throat. 
Well, yes, we, we shut, the, we shut way, the whole right? state down for, yeah. for, for just that, that small amount. Texas did and, the same thing, but we, we were not quite as lax, I guess, as Utah, but we were way more lax than a lot of other states. And we're one of the biggest populations in the country. We're a huge state. Um, Dallas-Fort Worth, the metro mass, as I call it, has about 7.6 million people. That's a Dude, that's a lot of people anywhere in the world. But we're on about 9,400 square miles. New York City has about 8.6 million people in 304 square miles. They locked down way tighter than we did. Like the streets, remember they showed the streets of New York over and over on the on the news with that real creepy music and they were all empty and all. Dallas-Fort Worth did not look like that. Yeah, the restaurants were closed and all, but there were people everywhere. We have a fraction of the cases here that they do there. And I would say that is a direct result mostly of population density. Our death rate of the cases you see is 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 about the same as most of the rest of the country. New York's is and so is New Jersey, egregiously inflated to about 6 or 7% because, well, when you send infected patients into an elder care facility and you tell the elder care facility you can't say no to that, you're going to do that to yourself. Um, but if you adjust that out, then we kind of look on a death percentage pretty close to New York, but our case count is much lower. But, you know, when you look at what I was talking about, the asymptomatic cases, we have a huge number of cases, just not as many. And I think that the lockdowns did very little. I know it seems counterintuitive, but it seems like that to me they did very little. Every piece of evidence I look at, because I'm not big on opinions, I'm big on evidence. Um, like Como said recently in a press conference that when they looked at the data, that of new infection rates, you know, new people that were infected and needed to go to a hospital in New York City, 66% stayed home. And when he said, he said that it didn't just mean they didn't go to work. Like when they were talked to, they didn't go out hardly at all. So if those people got infected staying home, and most people that went out didn't, how can you then turn around, look me in the face, and say that we had a significant impact on the actual number of infections with this lockdown? Even if we had an impact, you can't tell me that it was huge or it was a big you know like if we didn't do this 32 million people would be dead or some crazy crap like that exactly and i think it has to do with the way they're reporting it um i'm looking at texas too now on a per capita basis you guys are like number 11 yeah on on death so you're you're way i mean we like to see utah's number four yeah five you guys are number 11 so you're not not that far off you're certainly better than um Dior, a lot of these other Jersey, these other places yeah Michigan. And, and again, if you looked, at, if you look at a lot of those deaths in New York, if you look at a lot of the the very, very original deaths that came out of Washington State, they were in nursing homes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, I, I looked at some statistics from Pennsylvania the other day, and I, and I forget, you know, exactly what they were there in front of me, but it was close to say it was something like, you know, eighty-seven percent of all the deaths in Pennsylvania occurred in nursing homes or assisted living, and. You know, the average average age was something like 79. And, and the person I said that to, the first thing they said was, yeah, but yesterday a guy 30 years old yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one guy did. One, one guy. 30-year-old died. You don't, shut down the, you don't shut down the economy of the largest economy in the world because of one guy. You just don't do it. People die yeah, every maybe, day of, of dozens of things. And maybe he had all kinds of underlying health conditions anyways. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, if we just protect the fragile which is what we should be doing. We yep. should be taking care of the nursing homes, the elderly, the people with with immune compromised systems. 
we we could we could get as good or better results doing that, and that's I think what they're doing in Sweden. I think that's what they're doing in in uh, in Japan. The people that I've talked to in Japan, um, you know, Japan's been pretty lax about things too. They took some early initiatives early on. They they shut down the schools, uh, but they didn't shut down the businesses. They didn't shut down the restaurants. They obviously have a very compliant and a very um, you know germ phobic population, anyways. But uh, you know they they have a much much lower death rate without shutting everybody down. Germany, uh, again, and I, some of it I think has to do with the way they report the statistics. But Germany had nowhere near the deaths we saw in in France, Italy, Spain, similar elderly population. But I think Germany just did a better job of protecting their older people. Mm-hmm. You know and and that's that's again. So so when I look at and at everybody wants like, to scream about Sweden. Well, if you like Sweden screwed up, they didn't lock down their elder care facilities in the beginning. Then they did. Some, I've never seen politicians and bureaucrats do in my life. They came out and said, yeah, we messed this up and it's our fault. And we fixed it. And if you look at I just did a video this uh, yesterday of comparing Sweden to the United States. Our curves look pretty close to the same. And our peak, yeah, and, our peak and, but, death rate, John, our peak day with our most deaths attributed to COVID is the same day is the peak death day in Sweden who did not destroy their economy. Yeah. And I think, and I think as the, as the time frames get longer, that'll play out even more, right? Because they, any, any, any increases in deaths they may have had would have just come earlier on because they didn't flatten out the curve as well, much. Well, that's the curve, right? The curve doesn't have less people in it. It just it goes out of a different duration of time. It's supposed to be about hospital resource. Like, they're literally saying when they say flatten the curve, we're not going to keep a single person from getting this who was going to get it anyway. We're just going to make it longer before they do. That's all they're saying. Exactly. Yep. And, 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 and I don't know, man. I think that this is... This is the single worst self-inflicted wound a nation has ever done to itself, and it's it's pretty much every major nation did it. And, that, and that's the only good news. Huh. That's the only yeah. good news. That's that's why I'm not worried about Sweden and Taiwan and Japan will not take over the world now. They, like they don't right. they're not big enough to collectively counterbalance all the stupidity of Canada, the United States, Germany, the European Union, etc. Yeah, and that's why I'm not worried about runaway inflation. I'm not worried about the deficit. Uh, I mean, I'm worried about those things in the big picture, but yeah. I'm not worried about them in terms of uh, I, I don't think gold is going to $10,000 an ounce tomorrow or I don't think the U.S. dollar is going to lose reserve currency status Mm-mm. because because this is affecting everybody fairly equally. But it is generally all self-inflicted. And that's that's the biggest problem. And I don't see that. The, and the, my concern, though, is I don't see that going away. I think. Uh, it's like you stub yourself in the toe, so you shoot your foot with a forty-four magnum to fix it. That's that's how this feels at this point. Yeah, it's un- it's unbelievable. Like I say, I well, I stub my toe and I shoot your foot with a forty-four magnum to fix it. That's foot. that's actually more <laughs> accurate. <laughs> and 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 three or four months ago, I would have not thought this was possible. I thought I thought we'll just get through this. Um, I mean, I. I I should have I should have looked at the TSA and known how bad this could get. Yeah. But um but that's that's my concern and I think I think that's where people need to watch. I think they need to be careful about real estate. I think we've got we've got definite bubbles coming in um in these stocks that have been way overpriced, you know, everybody jumping into Microsoft, everybody jumping into Facebook, everybody mm-hmm. jumping into Amazon. I think that's going to peter out. Um 
I would be concerned about the airlines and the cruise ships and that, um, again, not that I think that the, that the virus is going to necessarily prevent people from wanting to go do that. I do think there's going to be a lot of pent up demand to go do it. I think that, I think the arbitrary social distancing rules are going to make a lot of these businesses just not profitable. You know, if you can only fill up 60% of an airplane, well, Delta Airlines isn't going to make any money. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if if you can only put in 70% capacity of a restaurant, well, a lot of restaurants are going to go out of business. Yeah. So, and then like we talked about that spillover effect, how many, how many people get laid off because of that, that are not even related to those industries. That's how many that's people where have a I'm job that concerned. exists because people fly on airplanes that don't work for an airline. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, how you said, you keep mentioning TSA, but if you, if you reduce total number of flights, you reduce the size of airports, we need less TSA agents. And, and I don't necessarily care about them individually, but it's still jobs. It's it's lots of government full benefit jobs going away. And then where do they buy their stuff? From whom? That's the thread. It's like these these all these little countless threads that you pull and the tapestry of the economy starts unwrapping. The only thing that gives me hope is one of the things I've said about this from the beginning is I actually believe in the end that people will decide when the lockdowns are over. And while there's a whole lot of monkeys holding down the monkey trying to climb the pole to get the bananas, because they have no idea why from that old story, I think there's starting to be kind of a, a surge of people that are just like, we're not doing this anymore. We're, we're just, well, we're going back to work. And most of them seem to be taking, you know, of course the media is always going to show you the 12 of them standing on top of each other at the protest with a Schwarzenegger. Of course they are. But I think the vast majority of these people that are protesting are not protesting by going out and standing in a line and shaking a sign. They're protesting by just going back to work, just opening up their businesses. And you only, again, you only hear about the one that got in Dallas. I guarantee you that girl that opened up that salon, she got a PR agent involved before she did. (laughs) That was a coordinated effort to bait the state into coming after her. Her attorney was on speed dial waiting for her the entire time that entire that was all planned there are dozens that are not calling up Sean Hannity or what's his name uh, Tucker Carlson and advertising what they're doing they're just doing it they're not having 10 armed men stand outside their business while they're doing it and and saying I dare you to come get me they're just doing it and it seems like that's starting to become more and more and more and you got the Blasio saying if you go in the water to swim we'll pull you out Okay, that works when one guy paddles his surfboard out there and gives a double bird, right? It doesn't work when 800 people get in the water at the same time. I can go to the beach, but I can't go in the water. And it's these arb, it's actually, I think that's where the state made their biggest mistake if they actually wanted to enable themselves to keep this control in, because that's where a lot of people that are even generally compliant are going, no, no, no. Gretchen Whitmore, you can go to Walmart and buy bread and cereal, but you can't walk to the other side of the same building and get a garden hose. That, there's no, any, like even the dumbest person should be able to say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. If you own two houses in Michigan, and you're living in one now, you can't go to your other own house by yourself. It is those type of, you know, you can go to the beach, but you can't go in the water. These things... You, can, you know, the pastor says, I'm going to have service 
But to comply, I'm going to have everybody stay in their car and do it like a drive-in theater. And the drive-in theater can open, but your pastor can't do that. When we start to do that, and so many have, I think that's where you start to get an insurrection. You know, where people are just like, no, we're just... And they can clamp down on the single entity or the single individual. But I don't know that you can do it if 30 million people on one day decide, no, we're going back to our lives. I don't think you can. Yeah, and that and that takes us to another trend that's been in place, anyways, right? Just just like the um, rebellion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The I, I think I think there's been a number of people that have in, increasingly wanting wanting more self autonomy, right? And they're getting more and more fed up with the government, and they're using the digitization and automation and robotics and things to create their own lifestyles. The, they the entrepreneurs that can work from home, the people that have lifestyle businesses. Uh, people have moved out of the big cities, moving to smaller areas, growing their own food. Um, and I think a lot of the people that I think are attracted to, to TSP fit, fit into that kind of a category. And that, that is a trend that's growing. People are seeing that this is, this is just a circus. This is, this is, and it doesn't matter whether it's Democrat or Republican. Um, you know, I do think one party's worse than the other, but in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter because the country's been shut down for, Two months, regardless of what political power was in charge, right? It was, it was, it was President Fauci, right? It wasn't yeah. President Trump. Yeah. It wasn't Nancy Pelosi. It was the bureaucrats. And somehow right? people inmate, that never knew who this guy was. They, if you ask them who Anthony Fauci was on December 15th and put a stack of, of $100 bills, a million dollars worth of $100 bills in front of him, said, if you can tell me who Anthony Fauci is, I will give you this money, would have sat there dumbfounded staring at the money Sad that they didn't know who Anthony Fauci was. All of a sudden, he is not to be questioned because yeah, he's he, a dictator. he because he disagreed with Trump by five percent. That was enough, right, for him to be deified. If he had, if he ever said anything contrary to Trump, he must be God. And, and we just gave over our sanity to this twerp. And the same people that were going, Donald Trump's fighting a deep state, were literally worshiping. A poster child for the deep state. The guy is a poster child. He is the deep state. I don't mean like in its entirety, but I mean if you want to, sh if you want me to show you somebody that is the deep state, it's Tony Fauci. The man's been in power since like 1984, relatively at the same level of power, in control of hundreds of billions of dollars a year in an unelected, unapproved position, and now he's making decisions for the entire country. And you're right, Texas maybe didn't do things as stupidly as New York. But we still did it. It's you know the old analogy when people explain to you why they're voting Republican. Well, they're driving the, the truck at a 45 degree angle to the cliff at 50, and the Democrats are driving it at a 90 degree angle at 100. Okay, but they're still both heading for the cliff. Exactly. I mean, really. Yeah, you, you you've been talking about the strong man, the strong man that's going to come yeah. into politics after after Obama and. And I think the strong man has been ended up being Fauci. <laughs> it's it's the it's the, the entirety of the deep state apparatus. Yep, the, all the bureaucrats. That's and that's and so I think from a trend standpoint, that's not going to get better. But I do think that people do resist. And the good news is is that these technologies and automation are helping those that want to be more self sufficient, more autonomous, more decentralized. They're those opportunities are there. You know, like you and I have said many times, if, if we'd have had the internet when we were kids, <laughs> we'd be, we'd be even more, uh, advanced than we are right now. And so. I'd be making loans to Bezos if I had the internet when I was 14. 
Yeah. So, so these, these enabling technologies are going to continue to help people, uh, to get around the system. At the, at the same time, the system's going to monitor us. They're going to be checking our social distancing with our phones and all that. There's going to be a lot of government overreach. Um, but at the same time, there'll be, there'll be systems there for us to, to go around it. And that's, that's the, that's why I, rem, that's why I remain optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's going to be where all the opportunity is. The opportunity exactly. is going to be leveraging the new reality and acting counter to the new reality. And if you can do both at the same time, you know, if you think about like, there are people who literally went out and bought the crappy, crappiest MP3 player on on the planet, the Zune, because it wasn't Apple, right? There's always a counterculture to every culture, so there's always an opportunity where people will buy from you simply because you exist in defiance of the status quo, and on the other hand, the status quo exists, and we all can play the game to one layer or level or the other, and we can even be counter and participatory at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think the I think the virus has shown people because of the shutdowns, because of the fear and all the different things that have happened, um, supply chain disruptions. I think it has sh- shown people too how important it is to have a good social network in place, and so. You know, if you know a local farmer, if you know a local barber, if you, you know, no, no massage therapist or whatever, you could have still gotten these services that other people weren't getting because you had your own social network. And so I think to the extent that people use technology, use the internet, use social media to keep building their, you know, building their social network and marketing their business that way, I think those are the people that, that succeed. The lady that cuts my wife's hair took about nine days to start emailing every all of her clients and saying, if you want a haircut, I'm just saying, you can get your hair done. Exactly. Like that was, and she didn't go on TV and wear a pretty dress and challenge the, the local county mounties to come get her. She just did it. And I think so what's happening is, when that happens initially, you only know about it if you're in the in the fold, and and, and you know generally the person that has a Karen for a client doesn't call her and tell her that because she knows that's a that's a Karen client, so exactly. that kind of kept it on the down low so to speak. But I think what's happening now is it's come. There's so much of it now it's coming to the surface, and it's like whack a mole. If the one mole comes up and I'm standing there waiting to whack it, I can whack that mole down if I'm you know the mayor of Dallas. But if there's a hundred moles and I got one whacker, I'm done. There's nothing I can do. And there has to be a point where, so what government generally does is, remember the, the one of my favorite movies ever, Christmas movies, is the one with the kid with the BB gun. Um, I can't think of what it's called now, but Ralphie wants his BB gun. And right, right, yeah, I know what you mean. Right, and um, it, it, I can't believe because it, it's like one of my favorite movies of all time, and I, I can't think of it now. But um, there's a point where they, they goat the one kid, in a stick in his tongue to the flagpole and his tongue gets stuck to the flagpole and they have to go pull him off of it. And he comes in. Of course, he's not going to rat his friends out. The teacher wants to know who did it. No one says who, no one will say who did it. And the teacher says, whoever did it, I know your punishment is far worse by knowing what you did to poor Flick. <laughs> and the, the kids, the narration from the kid in the background, you know, is we kids knew better. We knew it was always better to not get caught. And that's like a macrocosm of what government does. Eventually, government gives up, 
and they come out with a new rule as though it was their idea. You know, so like a lot, it's, it, I don't think it's coincidence that a lot of these states that were, you know, arresting barbers a week later were opening barber shops with guidelines that were generally less strict than the, the self-imposed guidelines the public personality was implementing. Like they were literally holding one, like the one in Dallas, they were holding her on contempt of court and the next day salons were allowed to reopen with restrictions that were less than the ones she had self-implemented. Like I think there's a point where the government just goes, we, we, Okay, since we can't control it, we have to create the illusion of control. And I think that's a lot of times that's how you, you move liberty in the right direction. It's incremental. And it's a lesson that, honestly, the liberty community could learn and doesn't seem like it can't. We deal with a lot of people in our community, John, that are absolutists, right? If there's anything wrong with it, it's not good enough. Is it better? Does it move the needle? Because the way gov- government never does that. Government's like, well, we want total control. This only gives us 1% more control, so we're not going to do it. They're like, this gives us one more percent more control. When they get used to that, we'll take another percent. And when they get used to that, we'll be able to take two. Right? That's, that's how they move the needle in that direction. We need to start moving the needle. And I think it is a natural, innate human behavior that moves that needle. And that's what's starting to happen. And that's, that is the only thing that has me not jumping out a window right now, metaphorically anyway. Yeah, you know, I agree. Yeah, the, the people that go to the protest rallies with the M16s and the ARs and all this stuff, not helping. Not helping because the media uses that, you know, as a as a negative. Mm-hmm. Where where the way you defeat the system is, you just ignore it. You go, you find a way to go around it, and that's that's what the smart people do, and that's what I think a lot of people in the TSP community do, anyways. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think a lot of the this is is again, it's in the end, I. I posed this question to Doc Bones, right, one day, and I said, what is the purpose of a virus? Because, I mean, that's a question I don't think we ask enough. What is the purpose of a virus? And he said, well, the only purpose of a virus is to replicate itself. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't, like, there's nothing in the natural world that doesn't have a purpose that's integrated to the rest of the natural world, right? The spider that eats the fly has a role to play in controlling the fly population. And there's an interweb that comes off of that one action, that one place that two things cross each other in a Venn diagram. And it's interconnected to thousands of things. So everything that exists in a natural world is connected to thousands of other functions except a virus. It only exists to replicate itself. This, you see how that, that doesn't make any sense? It doesn't make sense if you're a spiritual person like you are, if you're a scientific-based person like me, or a combination. It does, it's neither way. None, none of those ways. And no matter how much you gravitate to one side or the other, that doesn't make any sense. So there has to be a purpose to a virus. And what I've actually determined is that the function of a virus is evolutionary. No matter how you define that word, that viruses actually cause evolution. And evolution is not necessarily a monkey turning into a man. There's countless examples of evolution. A, a, a corn worm that becomes resistance to bacillus sphingosis because we made a corn that contained it and GMO'd it is an evolutionary trait. We've wiped out all of the worms that didn't, that were, that, that died from it. So now all we have are the worms less that are immune to it. And now we have a bigger problem we started out with. We created an artificial virus. It really is a bacteria, but you see what I mean? Like we weaponized a bacterium against an enemy and we made the enemy stronger. That, that's exact example. Well, viruses, I think, do the same thing. And I think that one of the places that science loses it is compartmentalization. 
So they would only see that worm and that reaction as that one thing instead of, well, how many other things are connected to that? And that was an unnatural occurrence because we did it. If it's a natural occurrence, it could be to correct a behavior of society. This certainly doesn't just seem to kill old people because a lot of old people get it and are fine. It seems to kill people who have nutritional deficiencies. It seems directly to hit people uh, the hardest in cities with the worst air problems. It seems to de definitely hit places, looking at some of the data that I looked at today, that have the greatest exposure to herbicides like Roundup. So if we're living counter to our natural behavior, including socioeconomic behavior that's counter, a virus may actually correct for that. That doesn't mean that I'm a heartless person like you that wants old people to die, John. It means I'm <laughs> making a scientific observation. Like, this is not natural human behavior. I don't think it is. Here, here's what I'm saying. I don't believe. You tell me how you feel about this. But I just, as a person, I don't feel it is an innately natural human behavior to put 8.6 million people in 300 square miles. I don't think humans are supposed to live that way. I don't think anybody is actually happy living that way if they had an alternative that gave them the stuff they wanted but a different living condition. I don't think maybe maybe 5% of people have have a mental illness and they think they're happy, but most people know I don't want to live that way. So that's an unnatural behavior, and it creates all sorts of problems, including more susceptibility to disease. Well, I think a virus can come into the picture and correct for that. I also don't think it's a natural behavior that we are educating our children the way we did in 1860 for an economy that doesn't exist anymore. And son of a gun, if this doesn't seem like it's correcting for that. Now, people might say that's a bridge too far, but until you can tell me the function of a virus beyond to replicate itself, And, and show that it has an interconnectivity with other biological life forms that actually has a function, not just a negative, but a function, what every other life form does, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I, um, I haven't thought of the virus specifically in those terms, but I, and I, I guess I come at it from two, just more of a, a spiritual standpoint of, mm -hmm. I think there's a design, a grand design plan. Right. I don't claim to know who the designer is or exactly the purpose or anything like that. But I think I think there is a plan and things like freedom and personal responsibility. Those are those are part of the plan. And so. When when governments come in and try and put people in big cities and make them live like rats and, uh, you know, because the education system you just described, the high density, big city living. Um, the, the monocrop farming, that, that all benefits government. That all benefits yeah. a central power, a central authority. And I don't think that's what part of the master plan is, right? I mean, if, if, if there is a master plan, then the master planner is the central part, not the government, not people. And, um, so I don't know what moves us away from that, but I, I think that the good can come from anything. And, And these trends are happening anyways, right? Whether, whether the virus came around or not, we are moving to a more autonomous, digitized, decentralized system. The, the old education system is going away. The high density cities, I think, in the long term are going away because they're not sustainable. The monocrop agriculture is, is going away. And whether it's going away because it kills everybody, Uh, or um, or because a, a virus 
spurs it along or because, you know, climate change or sunspots or whatever, whatever the reasons are, um, we're, we're moving in these other directions. And, and I think people, and the good news is I think we can, we can form our lives in a way to take advantage of that so that we do have more personal freedom. Yeah. And I, I think, like I said, like we were saying, a lot of this stuff's coming whether we want it to or not. And maybe it's just coming faster now. Um, what are your thoughts though? Like, well, what, what we, we've, we've been pretty bleak today and that's not something either one of us usually do. What do you think people should do? I, I think they should do what they that what they always should. I mean, this is the, the same things we talk about. We take take care of the things that we can control that that are in our uh, our sphere of influence um, from a from a skills point of view. Keep learning as many skills as you can. Improve yourself. You know, find out what your natural talents and abilities are and build on that. You know, people that uh, people that like to be people uh, people that like to be around other people. They should improve their social skills so that they can have a, a better social network. People that are more introverted, like to work with data or whatever, they should learn more coding skills or, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever your, your natural abilities are, start building those skills up so that you're better at it. So you're creating products and services so that either your employer is going to keep you on when he, when he, when he fires the other people, he's going to keep you or so that you can even maybe be entrepreneurial and, and start your own business or, uh, you know, move in that, at least move in that direction. But build the skills that you have from that standpoint. Keep saving your money. I mean, one thing about the lockdown, you know, my life didn't change other than when things went on sale. I bought more of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I, I, I think we bought lockdown, cars. I, I bought, I bought a car. You bought a car. I bought, I bought a, two. I bought a, I bought a car. <laughs> I, I bought a, I bought a puppy. I've been looking for a house. I haven't found my house yet. Uh, two of my kids have gone out and bought houses. I mean, people say the economy isn't shut down. Again, like I say, uh, in, in Utah, it's only been partially shut down. Uh, literally two of, two of my kids went out and bought houses in the last 30 days. Um, I bought a car. Um, uh, but, but I think this is a time to learn from the shutdown, learn all the things you didn't need so that you become a saver. You know, don't yeah. go out and eat as much as restaurants. Don't, uh, don't go out and buy things that you, you know, that you don't necessarily need. Focus on the things that help you build your skills. Focus on the things that make you most happy. As you build that money up, invest wisely. I think the stock market still presents a great opportunity. I've been moving my portfolio. I'm probably about 70% in, in the market right now. So about 30% in cash. I've been trying to take profits. Um, and in fact, I wish I would have taken profits this morning because <laughs> things are down again. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm moving out of some of the higher tech things that I was in because I think some of those are overblown. Um, so I'd, I'd look to, I'd look to maybe get another buying opportunity. Hopefully we're going to get another pullback where we can get another chance to buy these things. I think the United States is coming out of this stronger than ever. Um, I think the, the European union and even China. How do you are, mean stronger than ever? Because we've talked about some real flaws with the economy. Do you mean as a global power? As a, as a, in relative terms, okay. you know, we, we, we will continue relative to, be, to uh, other countries. We will continue to be the best house in a bad neighborhood. Okay. Yeah, I think I think the European Union has been in trouble. I think they, I think this virus is going to push them to more trouble. Um, and, and again, di- you know, disproportionately, places like Italy, Spain, were hit harder than the northern European countries. Those are also the the, the countries that have the the um, weaker economies. The European Union is is probably going to fall apart. I think in the next ten years. I think uh, UK leaving. Was a was a sign of all that. that. That's another thing. You know, the 
the propaganda in the media. You don't you don't hear anything about the Brexit anymore. You know, suddenly suddenly the Brexit's gone. England's not going to die because they they left the European Union. And in fact, I think I think the UK is going to come out of this stronger as well because they're going to start partnering more with the U.S. But I, I think uh, just in global terms, I, I I've been I've been weaning myself away from China in particular and and some more of the emerging markets and putting more of my money into the U.S. So I, I think that's going to continue. Do you think I, that I, we're going to have this big return of manufacturing to the United States, that that actually is going to be a thing, or is that a talking point? No, long term I do. Again, and I think that's part of the, all the overall trends. The We only manufactured things in China over the last 25, 30 years because labor was cheaper, uh, environmental Standards were, were laxer. I mean, it's really the two reasons, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it was cheaper to manufacture things because labor was cheaper and environmental standards were laxer. Well, you fast forward now, we're, we're a dominant energy producer and we're not only producing alternative energies, but we have more than enough uh, clean, uh, clean burning natural gas in the, in the United States. And so, uh, and our technology has improved where we can have better manufacturing standards environmentally. So I think when you combine uh, the, the low cost of automation with our natural gas and our energy reserves in the U.S., it just becomes less and less sense to make things in Asia. You know, why, why, why take natural resources, ship them to China, have them build shoddy, cheap products, and send them back, back here when we can start building them here in the U.S.? And, uh, Again, that's something I talked about in my book. I think that we're going to long, long term, you're going to see factories right on the wellhead, you know, right in West Texas or uh, other areas where we have a lot of, uh, a lot of natural gas and, and petroleum products. And, and you're already seeing this. I mean, in the, the whole Gulf Coast, look at all the chemical plants and things that have come back there in the last 10 years. We're, uh, we're definitely going to get more manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, and again, this virus is, is moving us more in that direction. Whether, regardless of who wins the November election, whether it's Trump or Biden or whoever, China's going to have a harder time than they had before. Uh, this virus has opened up, I think, a lot of people's eyes about how, how untrustworthy the Communist Party is there. Again, not the Chinese people, but the, the Chinese Communist Party. They, they let this virus get out of control. I don't, I don't think it was intentional. And, you know, whether it was created in the lab or in the, in the wet markets, uh, I don't think any of that matters. The fact is they did let it get out of control. And, um, viruses I don't think generally- they did it, like the people that are conspiracy theorists say they did it as a bioweapon. Cause this is what I would do if I was going to unleash a bioweapon on the world. I would have the virus. I would know everything about the virus before I released it. I would be well into or completely com- finished with a vaccine, which I would quietly use for my own people. So that I could attack the rest of the world. And say, gee, I guess we're pretty immune to this. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But I wouldn't, like, okay, first thing I'm going to do is destroy my own economy. Exactly. Decimate my largest city and region. And then eventually it'll get to the, like, that doesn't make any sense. But incompetent, like, you know the old saying, never attribute to malice that which can be explained through incompetence. Exactly. And it seems like there may have been an inadvertent release of it. But even if there wasn't, if it just, uh, you know, a bat crapped on an endangered species and somebody ate the turd and had started it, however it happened, they clearly ha- bear some wrong in hiding it and not being honest about it. 
and letting it get letting it get out of control. And so yeah. and I, I think that's opened up more people's eyes to the, the evils of the CCP. Um, I, I think uh, it, it shows you the bad the bad nature of their system and why that totalitarian governments do eventually fail because they can't uh, they, they are too incompetent. And they, well, they're all the same incompetent. They have. You, you, what would you tell me if I told you that I was going to give a thirty thousand dollars check to a family member who had deep financial problems, and if we had a long conversation about it, they hadn't taken any corrective action to the things that led them there anywhere? But I'm going to give them thirty thousand dollars. Wouldn't you tell me they're probably going to actually make their their life worse because I gave them the money? Exactly. Right. They're going to make it worse. So the more you give m- people money who have a problem, the worse their problems become. Because the money is a weapon. The money is power. And when you wield power the wrong way, you make the bad worse. So the reason that a communist government looks less competent than a pseudo-democratic government, a fascist, neo-fascist state like we have, is they have more power. Therefore, their incompetence has less of a check. Right. So I think that's the problem that China has. I don't think that our government is really that much more competent. They just have a, a, a check on their incompetence and a limit to their power. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, to, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's it's not the it's not the um, the incompetence of the government is that they when the government becomes too incompetent, they take away the, the ability of the market, yeah, of the people, and so so the. And that's that's why the communist things eventually fail. But I think people were seeing that more with China. Listen, ten years ago, China was growing at twelve percent. You know, people were saying, "Oh, they're gonna they're gonna overtake us, and they're gonna have the world's largest economy." Blah blah blah. I don't believe that. I mean, they were barely hitting six percent earlier this year. This virus has wiped that out. I think they're gonna be in trouble. I do think more things are coming back to the U.S. just because of supply chain disruptions. I think, and again, it, it's gonna make more sense long term. We have the energy and we will have the technology to replace their shoddy, cheap labor. Mm. And, and, and again, that's a huge opportunity for people in this country to figure out how they can benefit from that. How can they either work for companies that are moving in that direction or how can they start businesses that support those type operations? You know, learn how to, learn how to make things with a 3D printer or, or learn how to, uh, um, how to grow grow crops or grow specialty products using automation. Hmm. Those, uh, those, those, are, those, those are the trends that are moving moving in that direction anyways. And I think have like as a customer base, you need a broad, diverse customer base in any businesses you build because a lot of people got hit in this because their customer base was narrow. I mean, if you sold the restaurants in this, it hurt. If you sold the, if you sold the same type of product to consumers in this, Guess what? It, your business got better. Every farmer I know that doesn't sell through a distribution channel, that sells either a one-step distribution or direct consumer, says their business is better now than it's ever been in their lives. You know, Darby Simpson yep. said that. Uh, we had a guy on the phone uh, on the show recently that's down in Austin. They do pasture poultry and pasture pork, and they're 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 doing better than they've ever done. You know what's hard to get right now? And it tells you part of like the supply chain problem. And I want to finish up on this to why we, I don't care how many people die. We can't keep doing this. It'll be worse. People are saying right now, I see it left and right on Facebook. Well, if the store's out of meat, just go to your local guy and buy a beef and split it with your neighbor. And you both get half a cow. 
If you have an empty deep freezer, that's a fine idea. Have you looked at how long it takes to get a deep freezer right now, John? <laughs> exactly, yes. August. August. So how how do these people think the magic truck will just keep bringing your biscuits to you every day and we can just do this in perpetuity? It's not doable. It, it is, and it's not just the, you know, because when you say the economy, people see that as like a, unfortunately, a political thing. Like, well, you just care about the stock market. Actually, no, I care about all the people that make a living off the economy and don't starve to death because we have a good one. I've been, like you, I, I was in the military. I've been in third world nations. You've seen what a bad, a real bad economy actually looks like, haven't you, John? It's not pretty, is it? No. It, it's not pretty. It's, people say, you know, if I had to, I'd eat out of a dumpster. I've been to places where there is no food in the dumpster. Nobody would ever throw food away. Right? I'm sure you have as well. You've seen places like that. So the reason I care about the economy is I don't want to look like central Honduras when I was there in, in 1991. I don't want us to ever look like that. I don't want us to ever be in that situation. And I'm not saying that we're going to be, but I'm saying I'm, I'm a wise enough man to know that saying, well, that can't happen here is probably not a good idea. And I just think we're at a point now where we either come out of this Or it's going to be, I don't know if it'll be central Honduras, but it might be Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And that's pretty bad, too. And I, I don't have any interest in my nation or my state turning into that. Yeah, and to me, that, again, that's been the, the scariest part is just seeing the government overreach, kind of the, the TSA takeover of everything. That's my biggest concern. I think short term, uh, like I say, I, I am taking more profits. I'm, I'm moving some to cash. But Short term, I see that as a buying opportunity. I'm thinking we might get another dip. As I said before, this is a great buying opportunity because I think we will recover from this. Um, but we are planting the seeds for that next problem. And whether that's a big crash in commercial real estate or default on pension systems or, um, you know, who knows? I mean, the implosion of, of third world debt that carries over to the U.S. I don't know. I don't know what's going to be down the road three or four years from now, but I do think we're laying those seeds now. But short term, <clears throat> I do think we can recover from this. I'm looking at making money, um, and I do think it's a good opportunity for people to take advantage of these trends, move more into automation. Um, you know, really just summing up what you talked about, it gets back to building your social network. Mm -hmm. If you have a social network through this, you've done fine, and that's the way to structure your business. Um, you know, even our friend John You know, that, uh, that John Dolly that grows the um, microgreens. microgreens for the restaurants. Um, I mean, I know his business has been decimated, but I think I think he's hopefully he has. He's I was just saying, hopefully he's used his social network to where he can maybe not replace everything he was selling to restaurants, but he can start moving that into 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 individuals homes because people are still eating. Right. They're still right. always going to eat. People are always going to eat. They're always going to use technology. They're always going to use energy. There are certain things that people are always going to do. They're always going to want entertainment. Just figure out how to have your social network so that you can provide some of those products and services. And well, I, you know, I beat up on him all the time because he's fun to beat up on. But he's actually a casebook study in the ethic of hustle. So if, if this doesn't come back, he's already survived this long. He can build what he started building now and build that new market segment, which is a more direct consumer market. He's expanding and he's going into being able to produce other product that's better for the direct to consumer market. But he hasn't quit producing microgreens either. If everything comes back, 
you know, as, as good as you can expect at high-end restaurants in, in, in New Hampshire where he lives, he gets all of his old customers back. He's not going to get rid of the, the segment he built while this was going on. Yeah, and, and not only so, getting his customers back, he probably gets more because his competitors have gone out of business. They're gone because they didn't survive. They Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. The ethic of hustle here, and so summing this up since we've been on about an hour and 40 minutes now, is you take everything that you and I and the rest of the expert council and all the great guests have been telling people to do over the last 12 years and do more of it faster. That, that would be my general advice. The general things that we teach, the practical lifestyle, the being smart with your money, the staying out of the debt, the side hustles, the building of businesses, the building of social networks, just take all of that and do more faster. Because there's the, the entire timeline that we were preparing for and taking part of and actively engaging with has just sped up. So if this was a good idea before, it's probably a better idea now. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just moving faster in that direction because of the virus. And so people need to move faster as well. Yeah. But it's those, but it's those basic things that, that keep you here. Like we, we talked about months ago when this virus first hitting, you know, are you a prepper or are you a pretender? Hmm. If you were, if you were prepared, your life shouldn't have changed a whole lot because uh, even with the lockdowns, my life's know, only changed due to empathy. If I could really be the asshole I try to pretend I am, I don't think I'd give a damn. <laughs> I mean, really, like I've had to like consciously once a day look out at my property and say to myself, remember, you're blessed. Remember, not everybody has this. Remember, not everybody hates most people. Right. Like because you tell me a social distance. I only like about two dozen people in the world anyway. <laughs> and if you're listening and wondering, you're distancing. on the list too, whoever you are. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I'm being a little facetious there, but in general, I don't you know me like. I do my events and all, and I have to, like, get myself ready for a week in advance and take a week of recovery to have that many people around me and spend that much time talking to people. Like, I like to be able – people that fish and hunt naturally are people that don't want to be in a crowd. So I can't go out to bars. I don't go to bars. I can't go to restaurants. I cook really good. I, I can't go to the, the, the nature center at the end of the road to take a hike. I have a nature center in my backyard, and I have to remember – that there's some guy living in a 400-square-foot apartment in New York City who's being threatened by de Blasio to have empathy for, to even really see the change in this, because my business is doing better than it ever has. I have more material to cover than I ever have. And my the, the fish in my tank, in general, care about this about as much as I do, which is I don't. From a personal standpoint, from an empathetic, empathic standpoint, I feel for my fellow Americans. I feel for people all around the world. I, I definitely feel for my audience that's enabled my life. And I know it's hard. And I, so I try to constantly think, what can I do to help them? But yeah, if you are a solid prepper, if you're, if you were prepared for the zombies, and that's why I kind of got on people that were, it wasn't that people were concerned. It was that they were, you know what I'm talking about, John? They were freaking out like, like, um, like 299 days and Patriots were happening at the same time, freaking out. And I'm like, you need to relax. If you're a prepper, this shouldn't be that big of a deal. And I still feel that way. I mean, I do too. This is not that difficult to get through. My concern is what the future holds. I agree. I agree. And 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 I do think there will be a problem in the future. Mm. I think I think I think this was, you know, the, the, the just add an S to that word, John. You said there'll be a problem. 
just add problems. an S to problems. There you go. Problems. Yeah, problems. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the people that were comparing this, I mean, even the the the, the unemployment rate is astronomical. Yeah. But we are we are not where we were during the Great Depression. You know, just not even close. And the, the fact that we're not says something. Right. The fact that our unemployment rate is where it was in 2011, that says something about the robustness of what we're really at in society today. But. Absolutely. Like I say, yeah, the, the NASDAQ is within about 5% of a record high. I mean, we're, this is, this is not the problem. There will be a problem. There will be problems. Yeah. This is not it. And, uh, so, so people that had a hard time with this, they need to work on, on the preparedness because this, this could be a, a pleasure, not a, uh, not a penalty. It's certainly an opportunity. I mean, people got on me and said I was having a midlife crisis because so I went out and bought a sports car. And I'm like, I paid half for my sports car with, with John Pugliano paid for his, his, his freaking Subaru. Yep. <laughs> I bought a car for $24,000 that the dealer paid $32,000 for. I mean, there, it, that's an opportunity. Like when, you know, that's an opportunity because I don't see that happening again. You know, I, I really no, don't. It, it, and that's and that's what we use these these times for. That's why I always tell people: if you're prepared, then when the crisis comes, it's not it's not something to be worried about. It is an opportunity. You know, the reason a couple of my kids have went out and bought houses is because they they could get loans for. I mean, one of my kids got a a two point nine eight percent loan, thirty years, two point nine eight percent. I mean, that's uh, you know, yeah, but you, you had to be in a position where you could take advantage of that. Where you had the down payment, you had the capital, and, and you were ready to move, and you ready to uh, move, and yeah, yeah, your life was ready to do all that. So you, you use these opportunities. I bought my Subaru because I got it for a better price than I I needed one anyways, right? Yeah. I, was, I was at the point where I needed one anyways, but I yeah. got it for a better price now than I would have three months before. We got our so outback so because our it. our forerunner was <clears throat> up on its lease, but it just was a really opportune time. It's a good time. And when they were making the deal and the guy's like, well, this is the best I can do. I'm like, you know what's coming in the next two weeks. You know you can do better than this. And guess what? He could. Right? Yeah. I mean, like it was all of a sudden like it was like a magic trick. Like I mean, I mean, it was almost like a Jedi trick. You know, where you're like, these are not the droids you're looking for. It was almost like I'm sitting there in front of this guy at Subaru going, this is not the best deal you can give me. This is not the best deal I can give you. You will go talk to your manager. I will go talk to my manager. You will get me a better deal. I will get you a better deal. And off he went, and he came back, and son of a gun, if the price didn't drop by like 20%. I'm talking the payment drop by 20% on a lease. Now, Dodge, I tried the Jedi mind trick there, and they're like, uh-uh. <laughs> this is it. We we have dropped trial. This is all we got. You don't want it. Don't buy it. We're done. This is all yeah, but we they got. Came, but they but they came bought. But they came at the bottom price to begin with. Yeah, they did. They were already yeah. there. But it was like I got to try the Jedi mind trick again. And they're like, no, no, no. This is it, man. We're we're bleeding and, and we're selling because we're bleeding. Please take our yeah, problem away. Okay, I'll and do that's, that. And that's the advantage to like a dog. You know, this time I wanted a Subaru and Subaru. You know, because I've, I've had one before. Um, they they don't have to drop the price as much, but the, the Chryslers, the Dodges, I mean, I remember back in two thousand nine with the cash for clunkers. Yeah. I bought a I bought a Jeep Patriot for, for next to nothing. Hmm. Um because you know, they were Chrysler was just going out of business and they were giving those things away. And I still have that car. In fact, one of my kids is driving it. I'm getting I'm getting ready to sell that car for half of what you paid for it. What I paid for it in two thousand nine. <laughs> and it's bit it's it's almost I guess four of my six kids have driven it through high school, you know, to high school and college and stuff all these years. And I'm, and I'm going to sell it for heck. I mean, I got such a good deal to begin with on it. Um, you know, speaking of, we're going along here. We got to get off. But one yeah. thing I'll throw out when you, when you buy a new car, you don't tell them you're, 
if you are going to pay with cash, you never you tell, tell them cash. Up, you don't tell them up front, right? No. This was this was the first time that, and I almost wasn't going to buy with cash because the the deals were so good. But yeah. I'll tell you, this was the first time that when I got down to the end of it, they offered me a better deal if I paid with cash. Really? I've never gotten a better because they, they you know they make money off the yeah. financing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this. And the, they actually, they wanted the cash. I mean, I don't know if they were hurting from a cash flow standpoint or what, but they're like, oh, you'll write a check? I said, I'll write a check. You know, will you take some more off? Sure. And they took more off. I didn't so I actually, quite do that on the Dodge, but I gave them 20K down on a $24,000 car. Yeah. And they did not, said, like, they didn't see that coming. I, I guarantee, and then and I'm like, well, they're like, well, how much financing do you want? And I'm like, bad, do 36 months. And they're like, well, why so short? I'm like, well, first of all, I put like 90% down, so. Like when I get my tax return, I'm just going to pay the rest of it off anyway. And you can just see the guy's face like this isn't even worth doing. Well, sorry. I mean, you made the deal before we discussed the terms. And I, I think that's, yeah, don't tell, you know, don't ever tell them that you're going to do cash. Don't even ever tell them what you're going to put down. Just say, I want the best deal you can get me and then go from there. But like I said, with, with Dodge, they were advertising. Like, you're like, how'd you get it that price? It's like, you can go buy one too. They come on a website. Like, <laughs> just, like they just, I think what happened is Dodge as a whole looked at certain stuff in their inventory and said, this is as low as we can go. Get rid of it. Here's three weeks. Sell as many of them as you can, as fast as you can. Get them off the lots because they were that price everywhere. Every dealership was selling them for like 24 grand. And again, um, the, the, the difference in my place in life now, I remember when uh, I think it was like Kmart stock went to like 37 cents a share. And I had no money. It was you know, like early 90s. And I had no money. And I was like, no, even if they go out of business, like, you can double your money. Because that's not going to stay there, right? You know, that'll go up to three or four bucks, easy. And I had no money. I literally had no money that you could get into a brokerage account and buy a share of Kmart stock. And that's an example of a lot of people right now. They're looking at everything being a great deal, but they have no money. And so... That's why preparedness makes sense because you're not just preparing for a catastrophe. You're also preparing for an opportunity. Exactly. Anyway, man, we've, we've gone really long, but I appreciate you just because this was a free ball, you know, you know, jump ball today. And, uh, you're one of the few people I think I can do that with no agenda, no bullet points. And we just roll through for almost two hours. Um, always, always a pleasure to be on TSP and I'm looking forward to coming down and seeing you, you and Dorothy again. One That's because you, you know what you're going to travel in the fall because you just want old people to die. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm even traveling in the summer because uh, I, I, I. No, you I, really I, want uh, old people to die now. Well, let me tell you how how much I I don't care about children and old people. <laughs> I, I I need I need to do a road trip so bad that I am going out to uh, uh, to be with Nicole at the uh, Living Free in Tennessee. Oh, workshop. you're going to go out and collectively kill old people. I'm I'm going out and and I'm going to find uh, the tactical redneck and uh, whoever else I don't know yeah I don't know if Patrick's going to be out there but I'm going to go out and infect all those people. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad this lockup this lo- I've lost my mind during the lockup and I need a road trip yeah. and I'm going to drive. I'm I took drive a road trip the other day we drove around Eagle Mountain Lake it only lasted 45 minutes I need a I need a good one myself. Well man come again. on up come come on out to Tennessee then. Yeah, I can't do that right now. I got because I'm right. I mean, right after that, I'm going to Florida for two weeks. So, but that's not gonna be a road trip. I'm gonna go on an airplane and kill people on airplanes. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna bo- fill water balloons with COVID virus, 
and throw them out the window of the airplane all the way to Florida. That's my but plan. You're o- but you're only going to Florida to see your personal physician. Yes. Yes. It is a tax-deductible trip. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Every, every trip you and I take is, is tax-deductible tax because we focus on the 90% of the code that tells you how to get out of it instead of the 10% that tells you what you got to pay. Exactly. Hey, Jack, it's always a pleasure. Tell Dorothy I said hi, and uh, anybody wants to find out about me, they can check out the Wealth Studying Podcast or investablewealth.com. Um, happy to, always happy to talk to people in the TSP community. Absolutely. And guys, you really should check out John's podcast. And, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. I know he's on the air about almost every week on the expert council, but he's got a lot to say and a lot of good stuff. So John, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jack. Well, like I said in the intro that there was be a lot of stuff here that's really concerning and dark. And I am concerned and John is concerned, but I'm also optimistic. I'm optimistic because what I let off with you guys about with the quote from Winston Churchill, a pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. There are people that when the, when everything was as good as it's ever been, all they wanted to talk about is how bad things were. And yet there's people that right now see nothing but opportunities. I try to be one of those people. I try to pull myself out of it once in a while so I can say, hey, hey, don't step in that hole. It's a deep one. And I can do what I can to help you all. But in the end, all I see is opportunity. There is always opportunity in this world. As long as I'm here, as long as I can fog a mirror, I've got a mission to, to, to see to. And that includes taking advantage of opportunities and creating opportunities when they don't even seem to exist. Please take that with you as you come away from today's show. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Remember, if you like this show and the work that we do and you want to help us out, the real simple, pain-free, easy way that you can do that is just do your online shopping where? tspaz.com. You're going to buy some online. Go to tspaz.com and then start your shopping there. That's all you got to do and you'll help us out. Today's item of the day is one that I have made an essential part of my daily health regimen. Sacred Seven Mushroom Extract Powder. It has the seven best mushrooms as far as re, you know, deep research into anti-cancer uh, properties. And also five of those seven have been deeply researched to reduce the p- potential for something called cytokine storm during cancer treatments. I learned about this product from Nurse Amy. Uh, she's on it and she put her husband, Doc Bones, on it. And I am sold on it. For a long time, I was looking for a mushroom product that was affordable, that was affordable, that was quality and affordable. Um, This has equal amounts of these seven mushrooms, and they are just amazing mushrooms. I mean, you can read the research you want. I've got a link to a study that will take you a half hour to read, but it's it's worth the half hour of your life to read, about five of those seven. Um, It is incredibly affordable. Uh, an eight ounce bag has 322 servings and comes to 44.99. That's 14 cents a day. 14 cents. So my wife and I take this product for 28 cents a day for both of us put together. I never go a day without taking it. I really recommend you look into it and make your own decisions on it. I have a, I'm not going to go long because we already had a long episode, but I have an extensive write-up on this one. And remember, if you want to get that write-up, you want to never miss anything like this, subscribe to the Daily Mail. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, and you'll get a, a daily email. All it is is a bullet point and a link, bullet point and a link, bullet point and a link, and have a great day. That's it. There's no graphics in it. There's no, there's no like, cookies or tokens or things that download crap. It's nothing. It's a, I, I send a plain old, you know, 2003 style text email. I get AWeber's my a, a, uh, email provider uh, and I get stuff from them all the time about fancying up your emails and making it look pretty and online. I don't want to do all that crap to people. I want to be able to go, this is what this is about. I care or I don't click. 
I don't want these emails no more. Click unsubscribe. That's it. So do consider subscribing. You won't miss this important stuff. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. This is 70s week. I got a Grateful Dead song for you today. This one's called Truckin'. This is a song most people really don't, I don't think, get. Because it's kind of down. Gee, John Adam nails it again. We have a down show. He has a, a, a down song. This song's about you know traveling and expecting to find that, that big revelation. That big, amazing, life-altering, adventurous thing, that new thing. And sometimes even when you travel around a lot, especially like a band like the Grateful Dead going from one place to another, um, it just is the mundane same no matter where you go. You think it's really going to be different, but it really isn't. People deal with the same crap everywhere. And sometimes you go long periods of time without having any big revelations or anything. I guess even if you're the Grateful Dead popping LSD, you still can be kind of mundane sometimes. And, you know, that's really okay. Because it goes back to our quote of the day. I think the reason people even feel that that's the case is because they're looking for something to happen instead of figuring out what they can cause to happen. Well, this actually makes me think of it. It seems totally unrelated, but um, I can't think of the guy. Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager, uh, radio personality. Um, don't agree with everything I have to say, but I really like him as a man. And he was talking about Christmas one time, and it was near Christmas, and a lady called in and said, it doesn't feel like Christmas. It just doesn't feel like Christmas. And he said, you have to make it feel like Christmas. Christmas isn't something that just happens. Otherwise, it's just a day on a calendar like any other day on a calendar. You have to be the one that practices your traditions. You have to be the one that wraps the presents. You have to be the one that gets excited about exchanging gifts and having people over and having a meal. You have to be the one that reaches out to people. If you don't do any of that, Christmas won't just make itself special for you. Christmas is special because we make it special. So many things in life like that that are counter to the message of this song. This period right now is either incredibly diverse in its opportunity or it's a pause button in your life. For most people, it's a pause button in your life. For the love of God, don't do that to yourself. Don't do, you're letting this thing steal two, three, four, five, six months of your life. Take it from you. Because, oh gee, nothing good's happening. I have to wait. Bullshit. Instead of letting life truck along, get on with driving the truck. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Trucking, got my chips cashed in. Keep trucking, like the blue dog man together. Oh, that's in life. Just keep chugging on, on, on. Arrows of me and flashing my keys out on Main Street. Chicago, New York, Detroit, and it's all on the same street. A typical city involved in a typical daydream. Hang it up and see what tomorrow brings. Dallas, got a soft machine Houston, too close to New Orleans New York, got the ways and means And just won't let you be Most of the cats that you meet on the streets Speak of true love Most of the time they're sitting and crying at home 
Go 